going to say a word, you tell me what comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Tchaikovsky. Gesundheit. Okay, what's the word? No, see, that is the word. What does Tchaikovsky make you think of? I don't know. Allergy season? Uh, hey there, how you doing? What's up? Who's Martha Graham? She invented the graham cracker. No kidding. Yeah, before her there was only soda crackers. Hard to imagine. Uh, hey young lady? Yeah? Uh, does the name Man Ray mean anything to you? Duh. The man ray is a kind of poisonous jellyfish, and it lives in the Gulf of Mexico. Aha! It's very deadly. Are your kids as well-rounded as they could be? Kids who participate in the arts do better in school and in life. To learn more about the value of arts education, visit americansforthearts.org. Because all kids should get to appreciate Tchaikovsky's music, Martha Graham's dance, and man ray's photography. Art. Ask for more. A public service message brought to you by Americans for the Arts and the Ad Council. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Partners, and welcome to Radio's finest program of positive book talk and life coaching. Star Style B, the star you are. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I can't hear Libby Gill, but I know she's with us. And we are your success sisters. We are both your personal growth life coaches right here on the airwaves every week, bringing you the authors and the experts and the professionals to help you enjoy a more fulfilled life. So get ready to pump your energy. Love, learn, laugh, listen, and live your dreams through books and positive media. We have a really super-duper high-powered show for you today. First up, Libby Gill, my success sister, and I are going to offer you Three success steps for multitasking manners. And then the world's favorite bachelorette, Jen Sheffs, joins us in segment two to promote being single, successful, and happy with no regrets. 
And we'll speak with the New York Times best-selling author of Cane River, Let, uh, Latita Tatami, but with her newest bestseller about reconstruction and slavery, Red River. And my purpose in providing you this radio show is to communicate to you that you already possess everything you need to be the producer, the writer, the director, and the star of your own life. We always have three rules. We want you to smile, have fun, and be willing to be wild and crazy. And, of course, we want you to read some good books, and we try to bring those to you here on the airwaves. As a best-selling author, Libby has two books, and her most popular and one you'll want to get is called Traveling Hopefully. Go to LibbyGill.com. And I have four bestsellers, Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul, Be the Star You Are, Business of Show Business, and Miracle Moments, and that's at CynthiaBryan.com. So you can get more information right there. Now, if you're wondering why I'm a bit tongue-tied today, it's because I just got back from the doctor and, you know, and, uh, the dentist, actually, and you know how those shots in the mouth and you feel like you have mush mouth? It's like, oh, my goodness. Well, the Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by the Success Sisters, offering you the highest quality coaching for your life, for media presentations, and whatever you need, you can visit LibbyGill.com or CynthiaBryan.com. And the first one is from Napoleon Hill. The majority of men meet with failure because of their lack of persistence in creating new plans to take the place of those which fail. In other words, persistence prevails when all else fails. And our second one that I thought was appropriate is from Sir Winston Churchill, and that is continuous effort, not strength or intelligence, is the key to unlocking our potential. So, again, it's persistence and perseverance and tenacity. Well, getting to multitasking, are you a multitasker? I know that I am. I find myself going down the freeway, putting on my makeup, trying to sip a cup of coffee, talk on the cell phone, um, all while paying attention. And, of course, I've got to pull myself in check from time to time. Most of us have a love-hate relationship with multitasking. And on the one hand, it's very efficient. As I was just saying, I get more done. But on the other hand, it's aggravating when everybody is doing ten things at once at all times. Well, Libby, what do you think about this? Well, just tell me that you're not sitting in the dentist chair right this minute. I am not. And oh. But, you know, wouldn't have that been multitasking? I was in the dentist chair, and I had all these, you know, I was getting the shots, and I'm totally numb, and they're drilling, and I'm going, what time is it? What time is it? i got to get to the radio show. Yeah, that I'm would going, be the height of multitasking. What did you say? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's funny, Cynthia. I've heard all the same studies. I'm sure you've heard about how if you focus on one thing at a time, your brain can switch gears faster and it's more efficient. And I used to cling to that, but I'm over that because the truth is multitasking is here to stay. It's just a fact of life. The way we live with our email and our Blackberries and, you know, every, all this information coming at us and the way that we work, you can't do one project at a time. You've got to push 40 or 50 things at least an inch forward every day. So that calls for multitasking. I agree with you. I agree. I really feel that we have to learn how to be, uh, you know, a controlled multitaskers so that we don't do like what I was just giving the, you know, the, the example of going down the freeway, putting on your makeup and drinking your coffee and oh, yeah. your cell phone. That's kind of crazy. But um, I've always found that women are a, a bit better at it, but I know that you work with a lot of clients, and in some of your coaching clients have had some interesting experiences, so why don't you give us one of your stories? Well, I'll tell you, there, there's one person, and, uh, and I'm not going to mention any name because uh, she's an a entertainment attorney and also a close friend, but she's a mom and a busy professional, 
And she would take her two kids to carpool every day, you know, with all the kids in the back of the car and the SUV. And, and she thought a good way to get a start on her day was to check her, her BlackBerry at red lights, you know, as many of us do on the road, and, and also to make her cell phones in the car so she could get a jump on those East Coast calls, you know, three hours ahead. Until one day she's driving the kids to school, and she realizes she's gone about ten. When the kids looked up and noticed where they were and started fussing and fuming, she realized she had gone far past their school. So she was not concentrating on the kids at all. No, or the driving. And we've all done that, where you yeah. passed your freeway exit, or you, you think, now how exactly did I get home? My mind was somewhere else. You know your driving was probably safe, but you can't swear to it because you've checked out for a while. And that completely freaked her out because, you know, she had a car full of kids. Right, right, right. So what she decided, she decided it was time to learn to manage her own multitasking, her own habits, because she wasn't going to stop doing it. But she decided while she was in the car, driving carpool, the BlackBerry went in the briefcase in the back seat or in the trunk, and the cell phone only came out when she could pull over safely to the side of the road. That was it. She was through. And, you know, I think that those are two good tips, and I really like the, the rule that's out now that you have to have hands-free driving, mm-hmm. and, and I think soon it's going to be absolutely mandatory. So people need to, if they're going to talk on their cell phone, not be using it in their hand. And unless you can dial by doing voice, you know, you really shouldn't be having your cell phone when you're driving. No, and even the distraction of the phone call itself, mm-hmm. you know, not even manipulating your phone, but the distraction of your concentration being elsewhere is problematic. So I think we have to make decisions about what's acceptable multitasking, how we manage our own. And and this is not about multitasking in front of others or manners, like you said. We'll get to that in a minute. Cause but, that's you know, a com- one question here, because I think that, that you'll probably hit on this, but, you know, I always think that watching television is a waste of time. And if I'm going to do it, I like to exercise or, you know, you can fold the clothes. Right. Or you can do things like that. That's a good use of time. I right? agree. I agree. I think that's fine. It's because one thing is dominant or because both are so easy that you don't really have to concentrate on folding clothes. You do that by road. You don't really have to concentrate on television if it's something that's background to you. And for a lot of people with exercise, it balances out. You pay attention to a DVD or whatever you're watching or watching the news, and exercise fades into the background. And people like to read and exercise, too, and I think that's all fine. I don't even consider that multitasking. It's when you notice your own behavior that, I mean, how often have you gotten on the phone with somebody and you can hear them clicking away on their computer? Mm-hmm. And you know they're answering, answering their email. And then look at your own kids and see what kind of bad habits they're picking up, you know, with the homework in front of the TV or the computer or a CD on, all of that happening at once. Well, I think that's an incredibly important point is so often kids don't learn what you say to them. They learn what they see. So our role modeling talks louder than the words that we speak. So if we want to give our children good skills for living, good life skills, then we need to model those for them. Right, and it's about making decisions and and deciding. When I'm on conference calls, on coaching calls, the computer is off or the, the top is shut down, and I often sit with my eyes closed because that, for me, is a way to focus and concentrate. And we have to decide what what is an appropriate time to multitask and what's not. And most of us just fall into it without really making those conscious decisions. 
So if we were to recap what success step number one is, is you have to determine how you can manage your multitasking and break it down into smaller smaller lots. Right. So you decide it's not if, disturbing or dangerous. Exactly. You decide if you can exercise and read at the same time or if you can talk on your phone in the car at the same time. But now, now let's look at the flip side of that, the manners, the way you affect other people with your multitasking. Yeah, that one I think is really important because sometimes that really bugs me when I'm trying to eat out in a restaurant and somebody's answering their phone and they're trying to slurp. I mean, it's very, it's, it's very not. Well, and it's becoming so acceptable. I mean, there, there was a time that you just, you didn't answer the phone in the middle of the conversation. You just expect that to go to voicemail or, you know, you, there's just, and now, People sit with their phones on the table, and they monitor every phone call, and they pick it up, you know, every time it rings, and it's just, it's crazy. I was actually, a client was telling me, he's in commercial real estate, and he was telling me that he was meeting with a, a potential business partner about a real estate deal that was, was really a good deal for both of them, and they were going to hash it out over breakfast one morning. And as he sat there for this, this first brainstorming meeting, the fellow he was meeting with took one phone call after another and constantly checked his BlackBerry every time it buzzed. You know, sitting on the table and you hear that vibration, and he continued to do that through the breakfast. See, I feel that's downright rude. I do, too. I do, too. And that's what my client decided. Not only was it rude, but he thought, this guy has no focus, he has no manners, and I don't want to spend my time in partnership with him, and that was the end of the relationship. You know, interesting. Now, see, there's another great example of how the actions spoke louder than the words. Right. And it was sort of like when you're yeah, talking to someone and their eyes are wandering all over and not looking at you. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. It's like they're scoping out the world, scoping out the room. Is there anybody else more, more interesting for me to speak to? And it's rude. Right. And and this guy took it a step further, which I thought was terrific. And he decided, except in a few exceptional cases, like when his son was trying to to catch him on his cell phone after after school, you know, for a pickup or something, that he would not talk on his cell phone in the presence of another person. Wow. That, yeah, in the present, and that meant when he picked up his dry cleaning, you know, the cell phone stayed in the car or in his pocket. He wouldn't stand there with the clerk, you know, handing him his clothes while he talked on the phone. He wouldn't answer it at a meal. He turned it off at night. And those are the kinds of things that we really need to do, establish those rules of how our behavior, our multitasking is affecting other people. Well, to me, that is manners. Mm-hmm. So the, what, that would be the success step number two. You establish your ground rules and you adopt a type of respect which would be a multitasking manner. Yeah, including with your family. Decide, you know, what time do, do the cell phone, all the gadgets, now that we've all got two or three of them, what time do they go off? Do they go off at dinner time? And for some people, they've got to check in the office late at night. Do you check in and you turn it off before bed? I mean, I hear of people constantly telling me they sleep with their BlackBerry next to their bed and they can hear it buzz in the middle that, of the you night. You know, I, my clients tell me that, too. And, I mean, I have a couple of rules for them. I, I always say, you know, look, at sleep is for sleep. It means you need to rejuvenate, to rest, to get your, your body pumping again, and you need to turn it off. That's why we have answering machines on our cell phones and on our regular phones. You turn it off while you sleep. There's very few occupations unless you are an emergency room doctor or something where you're on call. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing to ourselves? Right. And it's the same thing like when I'm coaching people in my office, all my phones are off. Right. And so it goes to answering machine. And I, and I know that people respect that because it's giving them the respect when I'm with them so that when the phone rings and they get my answering machine, they can't get mad because they know, hey, she is respecting somebody else's time. So I think that is all about manners. And I love that you brought that up, Libby, because 
we have really forgot our manners with all our, our gadgets in today's day and age. I agree. And another thing in this sort of cyber amped up time that we're living in, so many of us have, have lost the ability to focus completely on one task. Now this is what I call unitasking. The opposite of multitasking. And to me, it's an absolute feeling of luxury to be able to focus single-mindedly on one thing. And I know you're a gardener. I, I pretend to be, but uh, they, pulling weeds and doing nothing else, you sticking your hand in the ground and really getting involved in that so that the time just floats away. That's what I mean by unitasking. And I think everybody should indulge in any kind of activity, whether it's, it's um, swimming or writing or meditating, anything, flower arranging, cooking, that really takes all of your focus and energy. You tune everything else out, and it's when you can lose track of time, you forget where you are, and there's such a wonderful feeling of just floating in that moment. And no, you uh, also, I think, I think that you get more creative then. I, I was talking with my sister this morning, Libby, and she was telling me how her daughter had lost some very important papers that she needed for her paramedic, you know, class. Mm-hmm. And, but she was so frenetic, you know, she was, because she was been working 90 hours a week and da 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 da. And my sister told her just exactly what you said. Go outside, breathe, go out into the garden and do nothing for a little bit because those papers are there. Sure enough, after 20 minutes of just kind of cooling down and being in nature, she remembered where mm-hmm. she put them. Right. And that was like it was getting single focused as opposed to scattered. Right. Of, I've got to do everything and I've got to do it now. And that's really, I think, when we are, I know that's when I can write. You know what? You love to cook, for example. Mm-hmm. You're a fabulous cook. So when you cook, you lose track of time and you also feel like you're indulging yourself, don't you? Yes, absolutely. And writing the same thing. When you can sit at your laptop or at your desk, and there'll be times, and, and i got to tell you, I don't have as many of them as I'd like to lately, but there are times when you start out in the morning and you look up and you realize there's only one light on in the house. Everything just, you know, went dark around you because you've been sitting there for eight or ten hours. And when you and when you look at what you've written, it's really good. Yeah. and it know, gets, it's amazing. It's amazing because it is a luxury. So step three, then, is luxuriate in your single-minded focus and do some unitasking. Right. Do some, shut out all the external distractions. Find a task that you can really hook into for five or ten minutes every day. Try it for a week and see how it feels. Okay, so recap. Those are all such great steps. Would you recap the three steps? And this is really, everyone, for how to manage your multitask. Right. First, determine what kind of multitasking works for you. What makes you crazy and what's actually effective? And the second step, adopt some good multitasking manners. Be mindful and respectful of the people around you. Don't talk on the phone, on your cell phone in people's faces. Be courteous. And finally, try to try some single-minded focus. Try some unitasking and really feel that sense of pleasure and that luxuriousness of doing one thing. And I feel that if you do some unitasking, you're going to be better at multitasking down the line because whenever you can accomplish one good thing, it gives you confidence. That is fabulous. Now, I want to ask you, we always do our accountability check-in. We do. (laughs) I know. So how did you do this week? Because you really were going to start a new kind of exercise, and that's what you told us last week. I know, and I'm I'm busted because I have... Well, you had a lot of traveling, right? I did. I was traveling. I tell you, though, I did a lot of walking. I I was in New York, and I probably put in two or three miles a day just walking the city. 
Well, then, see, that counts. We can't beat ourselves up when we're doing an alternate. You would right. thought you might start Pilates or a yoga, another yoga or something. That's right. But the fact that you started walking, that was good news. Right. Right? Right. And how about you? You know what? I am so excited. It's my first week to report that I am fabulous. I really, really kept to my goals this week. I exercised every single day for 40 to 45 minutes. And I ate breakfast. Remember my thing was I wasn't eating breakfast and it was making me sick. And, you know, this is a new thing, trying to eat breakfast. So I really do have to concentrate on it. And I just have a yogurt and a piece of fruit and some juice. But I did it every day this week. And talk about multitasking. I was able to accomplish so much more. And I also took it one step further. Of, I tried to, not tried, I did. I went to bed a bit earlier each night so that I got a little bit uh, more restful sleep. So I felt like this was a fantastic week and I want to duplicate it. That sounds good. Yeah. So, all right. So next week we're going to have, well, we'll be back. We'll do some more accountability. We'll see if you start a new regimen, but I'm glad that you were walking. And we'll see if I keep on my wellness I and my health. I sure hope so. And, of course, the Success Sisters will have another great life coaching session for you with three tips. And go to LibbyGill.com for more information on how you can get your personalized coaching, pick up her books, and all of the things. Great session, Libby. Loved it. You too, Cynthia. We'll talk again next week. Okay. You've been to Cynthia Bryan. And Libby Gill. Oh, we are the Success Sisters, and we're always in the coaching corner for you stay with us we got a great show this business of show business is no stroll in the park this business like no business can hold you in the dark world talk radio walked away from the man hailed as the most eligible bachelor on the planet, and she turned down two more gentlemen on the TV series The Bachelorette. Jen Shaft wants you to know it's better to be single than sorry. She'll be with Cynthia Bryan coming right up on Star Style. Be the star you are. Trust in your heart. Believe in your voice. You make the change when you make the choice. Looking for answers to those uncommon questions? Looking for a way to heal? Looking for spiritual guidance? Come visit www.angelstoguideyou.com. We are all blessed with spiritual helpers, spiritual gifts, and spiritual healing. Get in touch with your spirit. Get answers. Get healing. www.angelstoguideyou.com. Remember, you're not alone. Angelstoguideyou.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. How do you beat business burnout? Well, working in any industry is tough. It's long hours, there's stress, there's run-ins with Murphy's Law, and it can make anyone a candidate for burnout. Burnout can result in serious emotional and physical problems as well as a decline in profits. Here are a few tips for beating the burnout blues. Identify the symptoms that are affecting your performance. Do the most important things first. Stop talking and start listening. Exercise. Catch people doing something right. Take a break. Better yet, take a vacation. Help someone else to succeed. Vent your frustrations. Reevaluate what's important in life. 
Breathe deeply and laugh more. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan from Star Style with another business bite. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. showcases incredible authors and experts who enhance and inspire your life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth at risk through literacy and positive media programming such as this radio show. Please get involved, make a contribution, keep us on the air. Go to www.bethestarur.org. Bethestarur.org. Thanks for helping all of us. Well, reality TV shows have been all the rage at the moment, and our next guest has starred in two of them, both The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. She is a summa cum laude graduate of Ohio University, and her book is called Better Single Than Sorry. Let's welcome Jen Sheft. Hello, Jen. Welcome to Be The Star You Are. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I am excited to meet you. And I, as I was talking uh, to your publicist, I said how sad it is that we need a book to be written uh, to be about the joys of being single. And I think it was important that you write this because you have a very powerful message to all women. And it seems the number one message is to love yourself and never settle for second best. That is correct. And I think it... It is sad that there has to be a book written, but there's a book written for everything else in the world, and I think so many, and there's so many books out there that need to date and how they need to change themselves to meet a man, and I think it was really important for somebody to say, hey, you know what, it's okay to be single and it's okay to wait for the right person. Well, you know, and I'm glad that it was you, because here it is, is that you, you know, you became famous uh, by being on The Bachelor, and you literally walked away from uh, Andrew Firestone, who everyone said, oh, my God, he's like the best pick Perfect of your man. life. Right. But the bottom line is he's probably, he could be a wonderful guy, but he wasn't right for you. So right. we can't just settle for something that isn't right for us. And then you got picked up again. You went back on The Bachelorette, but you didn't walk away with anyone. And that shows me that, you know, you have confidence in who you are, and you're, it's better to have a good time with your girlfriends and yourself. Yep, yep. it's so, so true. And I, last night I ran into someone, but they were like, my husband or my wife and I were watching the show, and after you didn't pick anyone on The Bachelorette, we were like, what's this girl looking for? And I'm like, oh, what? Not, I'm not looking for anything different than anyone else's. I'm just looking to find the right person for me. And it's because he wasn't in the, my pool of 25 doesn't mean that person's not out there and I'm looking for too much. And I think that's what we sometimes, as all women, sometimes fall into the trap of thinking, oh, my God, it's, it's, something must be wrong with me. If, if this guy fits all of my, you know, punch books items and, and if I don't like him, if I'm not feeling it, it must be something that's my fault. And that's just not the case. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that it's, um, there are so many taboos from our parents' generation or grandparents' generations. I know in my family, everybody, the women were all married by 19. And if you weren't married by 19, you were an old maid or you were a sister, yep. which are, isn't that a terrible, those are you, terrible names. Terrible. Debbie like, Cobb. You know, she got married when she was 24, and it was just like, oh my God, you better hurry up or you're going to be this, this old maid at 24. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's so young, and I just think it's so hard to, I mean, I didn't know, I'm 30 years old right now, but I didn't know what I wanted when I was 24. I didn't even know how I wanted to start. 
Well, well and I think you're going to live a very long life, so it's better that the person that you end up with, that you share common goals, that you share our same passions, that your values, the fun times, that it's somebody that you truly connect with. And what I liked about your book is that you have a great sense of humor, and you really get to the bottom line, and you actually use that terminology in the chapters, is the bottom line of the chapters, is so that you're giving tips from your own life and that of, of friends um, that you've met, both married, not married, divorced, because obviously the divorce rate is very high these days. So why get married if it's not the right person? Did I lose you, Jen? You lost me, but I'm back. Oh, you're back. Okay, good, good, good. So uh, the whole idea that I was uh, saying is that there's no point in getting married when it isn't the right person, because... Finding happiness, uh, you can find happiness in your work, in your play, and I loved it. Like you say, you love to come home and put on your sweats, and it doesn't matter if you have, you know, face cream on or your hair up. You can be yourself, and you're not having to please anybody else. Right, right, and I think that it's really important for all women to experience that at least at some point in their lives because I think oftentimes women stay in relationships for too long because they're so afraid of being alone and they don't believe truly that they can take care of themselves and so if you you know if you do get to spend some time alone as an adult woman you get to see oh my gosh I can take care of myself and look at how great this is and I'm certainly not going to you know settle for someone who's not quite right because why give this up if it's not the right person oh I am with you I know that when I got married I had um, a banner on the altar and I still it's a motto I live with and anybody I coach I say this is what you really need this motto, and it is together we are three, you, me, and we. In other words, yes. none of this BS about we're becoming one and we fulfill each other 100%. It's we're, we're each our individual because that's what attracted us to each other is our own individual. In the first place, exactly. But then together we create this new persona uh, that is enjoyable and passionate, et cetera. And so I'm, I agree with you. I, I don't think that when we just meld together, you know, that that's the way right. – it's and I don't be. think that we need to complete each other. We just, like you said, we become another entity. There is, you know, it's a relationship, and then it's still two individual people. No one can, you have to be happy with yourself and who you are, and you can't wait for someone else to make you happy or validate who you are or complete you. I mean, it's, I just, you know, I, I hate when women think that their lives just aren't, aren't complete or are unsatisfactory because they're not with someone, because you can't look for someone else to validate who you are. So what's happening with you today? Because one of your chapters that I, and I, I mean, I love them all, but you're not picky. You just know what you want. Uh, have you ever sat down to really figure out what is it that you're really looking for? I have. I really have. And because of this book, but I really want someone who is down to earth, who has a good sense of humor. I go out with great men. I mean, my family is a, a very funny family. So if somebody doesn't, if they're really nice and, a really, like, sweet, down-to-earth man, that's one thing. But I also need someone who's going to make me laugh because that's just... That's you know, huge. That's, that's this is, huge. Because we live in a really tough society today, and there's not a lot of laughter, and we need to laugh more if we if we want to enjoy life. Exactly. And I, I also need someone who, you know, I feel like I'm a very driven person, but I can also balance my personal life with my work life. So it's very, you know, I've dated a lot of men who are very type A and are very, very successful, but... It's hard for them to. It's hard to get them to focus on anything but 
themselves and their jobs and, and their lives. And so, there's also the thing, too, and you talk about this, is sometimes when you're as um, successful as you are and you're driven and you're ambitious, you know, and for, for men that's always a trait that everybody looks at. And people overlook it for women that we like that, too. We want to go places and be things that many men are threatened by that. Right. And it is tough. It is hard to find men that don't. They, You know, a lot of times men want to be the, you know, the breadwinner and the one who stands out in the relationship. But I just don't want to be someone's wife. I want to be, I want to have a husband and I also want to have my own identity. You want to to be a participant in life, not just, you know, cooking and cleaning and baby making, right? Right, right. That's right. You know, um, one of the chapters is you say, tell your parents, I forget how, what is the exact, it's like blip to blip to blip, you know? Really, it's truism. It's so often our parents try to convince us, and all the guys that my parents always adored and said, oh, my God, he's so great, you should go out with him. I was like, Mom, you don't know him. He's, like, really jerky. Right, right. right? Like they have this idea of what they like in their head, and they might be right that this is a great guy, but they're not you. They don't have to be in the relationship. They don't have to spend, you know, every day with this person. And then, you know, these are the same parents that pressure us to get married, and then when we get divorced, they're like, what happened? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, there's very mixed messages, and ultimately we can't, necess- we can't change our parents, we can't change what our friends say, but we can change how we react to it and think, you know what, I can't let them get to me because they're not me. I know what I'm looking for, and I just need to not be so concerned with what everyone else has to say about it. Well, in your epilogue, you you write that uh, you originally were going to title it "Good Things Come to Those Who Wait" because you thought you you were in a relationship, I believe, at the time, and you thought, okay, this is the one that lasts forever, and um, it didn't. And so the great thing was is that you talk about, hey, I'm thankful I'm still single because I am having a great time. I was able to write about it. I'm able to meet lots of women and talk to them about it. I've got a great job, and I'm really and truly living by the book's message. I really, really, truly am, and I think it took me a while to come to these realizations. I think I always knew it, but I feel like I'm actually living it and just knowing that I have been settled. And, you know, every time I go through a breakup or a couple of dates that don't work out, it, you know, I used to get so discouraged and think, oh, my God, I'm never going to meet anyone. But really what it's taught me is I always do meet someone. Yeah, I'm there's so many. Sick, but, I can, you know, it's never going to be as if I'm never going to meet someone because eventually it's going to work. Well, and I also think that the person that you want, even though you don't know who it is, is looking for you, and it's just not the right time or the right circumstances. And instead of pining over what could right. be, enjoy the moment. And that's enjoy what your, that's what your book is about. You don't want women to have any regret. The book is called Better Single Than Sorry, and, and it's a no-regrets guide to loving yourself and never settling. And I think loving yourself is... Now, I wanted to take just a couple minutes to ask you what it was like to be on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I know you get these questions on every single show you do, but, of course, the listeners love to know. Of course. <laughs> and, and so was it, was it fun for you? Was it heartbreaking? Was it difficult? When I, when I watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette, I just think, oh, my God. You know, first of all, how can you even act like you're attracted to those people, all of them? How can right. you kind of get, like, kind of intimate with them? And then the last thing is, oh, it's so hard not to give everybody a rose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's first of all, The Bachelor, I enjoyed the, bachelorette, the Bachelor experience so much more because 
I did truly care about Andrew, and and I felt that he cared about me. And in the end, I was the girl chosen. So had he not chosen me, maybe my answer would have been different. Been different. But I loved but, that yeah, but it was very obvious. You guys seemed like you really hit it off, and and you know, hey, it lasted a good long time. And what yeah. more can you want? You know, right. and it really was a true, genuine. You know, it didn't last, but it was a genuine relationship, and we had genuine feelings for each other. When I did the Bachelorette, it was just you know. The, it was the show, like the weight of the show, show was falling on my shoulders, and I really wasn't feeling a, Ready? You know, a connection or attraction or any sort of, you know, real chemistry with any of the men, and I just didn't know what I was going to do. Especially What's the time frame that they shoot one of those, you know, a whole season in? Is it just a couple of weeks? It's six weeks. Six weeks. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's not any time at all to fall in love, is it? No, I mean, no. And it, and even with Andrew, I knew that I wanted to be with him after the show and see where it may lead. But we both agreed, okay, we're not planning to get married. We're not planning a wedding right now. We right. both know that we want to see where this relationship, you know, may take us. But we're not, you know, as soon as the show, we're not going to go call, you know, the venue and, and get a band and, you know, <laughs> that stuff. But so well, the Bachelorette was more stressful then. Are yeah, you in that was much more stressful because I just didn't. I knew that it wasn't going to lead me anywhere, and I just with the guy. Yeah. And I just knew uh, how was I supposed? To, how was I going to get through this? How was how, I? Gonna, you know oh, what yeah. is it like living in a house or wherever they put you with all the other women or all the other? I mean, I think that would be difficult because some of those people, like on The Bachelor, they're so catty. The men don't seem to be catty, but the women are no. catty. Well, and I think the oh, was that not was that all editing? Was it was it that really was not editing? Like that? And that's you know certain girls just getting you know really insecure. But most of the girls were really those are just the ones that didn't get a lot of airtime because mm-hmm. they're the normal ones. Yeah, <laughs> and right. Nobody wants to watch the normal ones. Have you um, got friends with any of them, Jen? I I became really great friends with some of them. Um, and Michelle was on my show. I still talk to her every once in a while, and this not Tina Fabulous, who I used to talk to. I don't rem- know if everybody remembers her. I just kind of lost touch with her, but then another girl, Tina from Tennessee, just had a baby. So we do all sort of keep tabs on one another because we really were in a unique situation together, and you do you do bond. But did any of them, after you and Andrew broke up, contact him and say, "Hey, I'm available"? <laughs> Not that I know of, but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I'm sure there were plenty, you know, plenty of other people, uh, you know, doing that kind of thing. Well, I just applaud you that you took the courage to put this out there. I hope that the men will read it. And, and you know what I was going to say is that the tips that you have in here, they're just, they're, they're very simple that we know, but we just don't practice. Just need to hear and it I again. think that they're applicable for men as well as women. So this is a book not just for women. It's a it's a book for anyone who wants to love themselves more, and then that'll make them better in a relationship. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you. Like you said, it does apply. You know, I, I geared it towards women because I'm a woman, and it's coming from my perspective. But it is a message that is universal, and it, it does apply to both men and women. And hey, it's a keyhole look into a young, beautiful, attractive, smart, savvy <laughs> woman, and how she thinks and what makes her tick. So hey, what man wouldn't want to know what makes a woman like that tick? And you Absolutely. are all of that, Jen. You are all of that. It's a real pleasure to get to meet you, and I really hope that your book just soars to number one and that you have a lot of fun going on book tours and promoting the book. What does it feel like to be a writer now? 
it's crazy. It just also jumps shaft. It's like, oh, sorry, how cool is that? I know, isn't it? It's cool, isn't it? Isn't it the best? Well, thanks for coming on Star Sal. Be the star you are. Keep in touch with us. The name of the book is Better Single Than Sorry. It's Jan Sheft, and her name is spelled S-C-H-E-F-F-T. You all know her from The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Do you have a website um, that you wanted to give out? Is it Better Single Than Sorry? BetterSingleThanSorry.com. Yes. Okay, so go to BetterSingleThanSorry.com, and you can find out all the latest news. And, of course, I'm sure once that you do find the guy, you'll put it on Better Single and Sorry, and you'll have some tips on, you know, what it took, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's the next book. That's I the think this book. could be a series, Jen. It could be a series. Well, you're delightful. Keep doing what you're doing, and there are no regrets in life. No that regrets. Is no regrets, exactly. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Dan, the book Better Single Than Sorry. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style B, the star you are. We'll be back in a minute with a really great author. Another interesting look into literature. World Talk Radio. Never give up. Never give in. The ones who will work are the ones who will Cain River takes us to Red River as the saga of the Tatami family continues. Coming right up on Star Style, Be the Star You Are with Cynthia Bryant. I'm Mary Hart, and this is AWRT Empowering America. Born in 1906 in Missouri, Frida grew up cleaning houses for wealthy white families. At 13, she began performing across the country with the Dixie Steppers. When the troops split up, Frida tried to become a chorus girl, but was rejected for being too thin and too dark. The turning point in her career came when she traveled to Paris for a new onstage review. Frida became an overnight sensation. During World War II, Frida's travels entertaining troops enabled her to work undercover for the French Resistance, smuggling secret messages in her sheet music. Frida returned home during the 1950s and 60s, and she actively engaged in the political battle against segregation. Frida Josephine Baker died in Paris in 1975. Empowering America is brought to you by the Foundation of American Women in Radio and Television and is made possible by Walmart, committed to providing an environment that supports its associates in their professional and personal lives. Our people make the difference. Information at walmartstores.com. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Well, welcome back to Star Style. Be the star you are with me, your personal growth coach, Cynthia Bryan. We are a show about following your heart and making a difference in life through the reading of great books. For more information on Be The Star You Are that brings you this program, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. Consider making a donation and keeping the show on the air. Well, after centuries of slavery and terror in America, blacks were promised freedom and rights. Instead, they were treated more like animals. They were lynched. They were denied schooling and all education. 
Lalita Tatamy is the author of the best-selling novel, Cane River, and in her new book, Red River, she writes about the Colfax Massacre of 1873, where almost every black man in a small town in Louisiana was murdered after truly being betrayed by the the white people. Well, welcome, Lalita, to be the star you are. Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, you know what a moving book you have written in Red River, continuing the tradition, another branch of the Tatami family, <laughs> but such an amazing thing. Uh, you're, it's such a powerful book, and it's completely devastating because when I read the book, I realize that we humans still have not learned how to treat other humans with respect and dignity and that we really are all one. And it was the reason that I really wanted to to write this story, because I think that we're at the risk of forgetting that um, unless we keep close what could happen if we revert to our worst selves. And this is it. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting in this day and age, I hate to even think that there was a time when blacks were so poorly treated in America. You know, I mean, I can't even imagine slavery. But I was talking about your book to a colleague, and before I told, and I was talking about the slavery and the, you know, and the massacres, and you know what? They actually thought I was talking about another country in today's time. Yes, absolutely. And so it was a parallel were so strong, and and what I honored so much about um, your family with Sam Tatamy is the fact of keeping the name alive. And I, I don't think I realized how important ha- being, you know, that his ancestors saying to him or the father that he really didn't know except for the few minutes saying, "You were born free. You are from this place in Egypt. Your name is Tatamy." You know, I mean, how in incredibly important that was. And it, and it actually was, and it's one of the reasons um, that I feel so strongly about my name today. It's a name that was reclaimed, um, that my great-great-grandfather actually remembered from stories that he had heard as a child, and he reclaimed that name in the 1870 census, which was the first time that newly freed slaves could actually have a first and a last name. And so he made up the name that was the closest phonetic pronunciation he could remember. And all Tatamis today around the world are related back to Sam Tatami, uh, my great-great-grandfather. They're either related by blood or marriage. It's, and, you know, you, do, you did a lot of genealogy. You did a lot of research in this book. Was that difficult to do? I, what I, I very much love were the photographs, the old photographs that you have in here. You have actually um, some pictures of uh, the Sheldon's Primer, which was you know, one of the books. And of course, we're a show about improving literacy around the world, and especially for women and youth and families at risk. And so when you write how important a book was, the fact that it was so precious, and, you, and no matter what, you never wanted to damage it, you wanted to take such good care of it because it really belonged to the community, that I thought was such another strong message that we have forgotten today. Well, and we, we really are in an era of excess. You know, the, the gap between rich and poor is getting larger and larger, but we are in an era of excess where we don't realize the fundamentals and just how important it was. And back then, in the 1800s, in the 1870s particularly, 
when so many uh, in the African-American community were learning to read for the first time, to have an actual book, it was not your book, it was the community's book, and you got your allotted time with that book. And education was so important, and it was so important, again, to my ancestor, um, Sam Tatamy, who started the first, first they called school. it colored school then, but started well, the and, first school. And the persecution that not only he personally went through, but his family went through because the white league or just the, you know, the, the Caucasian people, had, even though they were like white trash, I mean, they were just horrendous people. I just can't imagine people being like this. Is that they did not want any of the blacks to get ahead. They did not want them to have education. They didn't want them to learn to read and write. And they even burned down in the uh, the school, the commissary, the you know the store that he was that he had that he had the little school in. It was just so it was heart wrenching. And a lot of that is about power and existing power structures and the fear of there being a shift in balance of that power. And that is something we're seeing in the world Absolutely. everywhere today. That's a global issue. It is a global issue. But what about right here in America? Because we still have, like, the Ku Klux Klan. You know, we still, we still have issues like this. Do you think that enough progress has been made? Because when we think about the Civil War, I mean, most of us, when we think about the Civil War, we, we think that, okay, after the Civil War, Lincoln freed the slaves, and then there was Reconstruction, and everything was hunky-dory, but it truly wasn't, as we saw in the 60s, you know, what happened um, with all the Civil Rights Movement. But it's really been a very long struggle and one that is still going on today. And again, it's why this is a historical novel. It's a blend of fact and fiction. But I really wanted to put out there what the tremendous obstacles were. And your question is, have we come far enough? And, of course, we have not. Um, we have come quite far. Uh, it is no longer um, the, the U.S. is no longer as polarized as it was at that, at that moment in time. But we still have quite a long way to go. And I think that actually addressing the issues and addressing them out in the open is um, is really an important step to be able to continue that forward movement. Well, one of the things, uh, and this is a historical fact, uh, which in history books it's called the Colfax Riot, but in reality it was really the Colfax Massacre, where after Reconstruction there had been a, a, a vote and some Republicans had gotten in, and, and they really needed protection. And we're talking white folks here, but white folks from around the states did not want any new politics. And they came in and they just killed everybody. And it was, and it was, really, um, it was really the black men of the town who were farmers who felt that they had risked their lives voting in the first place. They had voted in a slate of candidates, and they really wanted to protect this new thinking, radical Republican agenda. And so they escorted these men to the courthouse and laid siege to it for three weeks, thinking every day that the federal government was going to come and back them up and was going to come and um, show enough force so that there could be a smooth transition to a new way of politics and a new way of thinking. Um, but they were very disappointed when the federal government 
never showed up. Do you, the, in, your, in your studies there, what was the reason the government never showed up? Was it just because they also feared the, the um, other government that did not want the Republicans in? Because that's what I wasn't clear on when I read it, the book. It wasn't about fear of the government. It was, it was, about, um, it was about healing some of the wounds from the Civil War. And the federal government decided that states' rights were more important, that they had, um, the, the North had won, in effect, against the South, but they didn't want to come in showing force, and they would have had to deploy, really, military troops to many different areas, and they just didn't have the political will to do that at that time. They thought, they thought, that they had other more important things that they needed to do. Was there um, ever anything done to these men who murdered all was it 183 100 and It was it was that the the number is very contested, but okay. 150 is what I think it was. Okay. Um but there were about 150 men and yes, they fought they tried to bring nine of the perpetrators to justice. And they fought the case up in lower courts and it kept getting appealed. And each time it got appealed, the next court would let another man off until there was only one left. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. And the Supreme Court passed a judgment that said that the federal government was not willing to intercede because this was a state's rights issue. And that was effectively the end of Reconstruction, the end of the grand experiment of equality and bringing all citizens into the mainstream. Because from then on, violence was the controlling mechanism used in the South. And what, how was it for you to research the book? Because you have woven the characters in there so beautifully where we really, you know, I really felt that I was in the bottoms. I really, when I'm reading the book, I feel that I'm in their little huts and I'm sharing their meager meals or that I'm wearing that ragged old dress, you know, that you're, you have that's on there forever. Uh, what kind of research did you have to do? Did you have a lot of family photos and a lot of family history? Is it, was it oral um, history that had been handed down through the family, or did you really dig all of this up? It was a blend of, of everything. So it, one of the reasons that it's uh, neither fact nor fiction, it's faction, is that there were some Oh, I gaps. like that. That's great. <laughs> there were some gaps of things that I just couldn't get my hands on. Um, but some of these were family stories. Some of these uh, were was court testimony that I poured through and eyewitness accounts of things that happened. Some of these were other people's family stories. Um, some of it was just wading through lots of courthouse documents and land deeds and old newspapers and um, just accumulating an enormous amount of data and then pairing it out and blending it so that I could tell it in a fictional, in a fictional way um, with a narrative arc and all of the storytelling techniques that you need to do to capture someone's in, a reader's interest and then maintain their interest. So a lot of it, um, I believe, absolutely is true, but I can't prove it because yeah, it's oral. Yeah, of course, because it wasn't, it wasn't written down. Yeah. But it really, you know, you do talk about that it, it seems that Sam was 
White and Jackson were quite the heroes in the family. I mean, it's been, they've been talked about for generations. Absolutely. And they certainly are my heroes. Um, and I really wanted to, I really wanted to honor them. They were very strong, courageous men who stood up when they needed to stand up, who took leadership roles when they needed to take leadership roles, who were so determined that they were going to keep their families intact and protect their families, but also protect their dignity at the same time. As a family. Well, I want to give out, you want to have a website you want to send people to. The name of the book is Red River. The author is Lalita Tademy, T-A-D-E-M-Y. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Cane River. It's a fascinating faction book, as she calls it, history, um, interwoven with a bit of fiction, but it, it really is will change your life and, and it gives you a very good picture of what's going on in our world today and hopefully you can change it. So, um, a, a little, you know, what website would you like to give out? It's www.lalitaacademy, just my name, L-A-L-I-T-A-T-A-D-E-M-Y dot com. Thank you so much for being on Be The Star You Are, lalitaacademy.com. And we will see you next week. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Thanks for tuning in. Go to be the star you are.